are you ready for the word? I tell you what, if you ain't ready for the word after that, you ain't got a pulse, okay? Uh, just, just remain standing just for a few more moments. I know, I know it's a lot of standing, but you wore those shoes, okay? You, you should know by now, <laughs> unless you're just a guest. You got to wear comfortable shoes uh, as social. Um, I, I want to share a word that I believe uh, has the power to literally change the trajectory of your life. This is not just a cute message, but I know this word is for somebody. And I want to go uh, to the book of Jonah today. Jonah chapter 1. And I'm going to look at verses 1 through 15. The book of Jonah, chapter number 1. And we're going to read 15 verses. Is that okay? It's not too much. Come on, you know, this is our year to go. Oh, y'all still remember, we're going deeper this year. And one of the ways to go deeper is to get a greater hunger for the Word of God. And so we're going to read 15 verses from Jonah chapter 1. And I know if you're super saved and you graduated from Sunday school, you've heard this story. But don't dismiss it. Perhaps God wants to say something new to you from it. Jonah chapter 1, when you're ready to read it, say, yeah. yeah. If you need some time to find the book of Jonah, which may take a while, it's in the Old Testament, say, give me a minute. I heard, I heard it. It was faint. I'm going to wait for you. Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. Can I see your hand again if this is your first time at social? Your first time ever at social. That is amazing. Come on. Welcome. So glad your face is in the place. So glad that you're here. Uh, Jonah chapter 1. And this is what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amata. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, as if you could, and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, hey, bro, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. And maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Ooh, I, I hate to just read and not give you my own little commentary that sneaks into the text when I'm reading the text, but sometimes I want to help you read your Bible better. I find it intriguing that these expert sailors noticed this is not a regular storm. Like, I've been on the water, I've seen some storms, but this storm is so different. Somebody did something. Somebody did something. What in the world did they see in that storm that made them go, somebody is responsible for this? So they cast lots, and the lot fell on, surprise, Jonah. So they asked him, hey, tell us, 
Who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? Where are your people at? What's your social media handle? What's, what's your social security number? See, when you get in trouble, you start asking the questions you should have asked before you got in the trouble. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Turbulence will make you on a plane read that little brochure that you ignored. Oh yeah, you were eating your snacks, putting on your headphones when the student's like, ah, whatever. As soon as you hit a pocket, wait a minute, where's the exit door? Trouble will make you ask some critical questions. And so now that they've hit a storm, they're asking him everything. And look at what he answered. I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And the sea, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But when they could not, they said, hey, bro, we got to do what we got to do. This storm ain't going down. They even prayed, please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. <laughs> and don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. Can you see the sailors picking him up like DJ Jazzy Jeff from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, just like Uncle Phil used to do. And if you ain't laughing, you too young. <laughs> and they threw Jonah into the water and the storm on top stopped when Jonah was under the sea. Uh, we're in an interesting season as a family. You know, our kids are seven, six, and five, and summer has started. Whew, pray for us. And so we were watching a lot of movies, and sometimes when you're watching movies and studying the Bible, things get all mixed up. And so, excuse my title today. I want to preach to you for about three hours uh, using this as a title, Under the Sea. <laughs> Under the sea. About half of y'all are going do 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 do, which is cool. Under the sea, and if if you want to know what the sea is, just just calm down. You'll, you'll see, you'll see. But let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me, Father? Thank you for your word. Speak today, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Under the sea. Last week, I had the incredible opportunity to gather with about 50 pastors in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was 50 pastors that gathered for some teaching, for some fellowship, and some impartation. And it was such a life-giving gathering. I don't know if you've ever gone to a gathering and you didn't even know how much your soul needed it until you got there. That's what this meeting was for me, just gathering with about 50 pastors. It was so good for my soul. In fact, it was so good for my soul, I just felt the need to tell somebody, every once in a while, you need to gather with people who do what you do and aren't jealous of you. I'm gonna say that one more time for the people in the back. 
every once in a while, it is good to gather with people who do what you do but aren't jealous of you and are for you. There's actually a camaraderie that comes with people that have just a vocational similarity. There's just something in the room that's palpable. It's a connection. If it's once in a while, just gather with somebody that does what you do but isn't jealous of you. If you're a doctor, you should find you another doctor to talk to. Get you a doctor friend so y'all can talk about uh, how your patients test your patience. It would just be good for your soul. Don't be in isolation. If you are a plumber, find you another plumber to talk to and be vulnerable and have a conversation. Just, just talk about how, you know, sometimes, bro, you ever just feel emotionally drained? <laughs> Jokes will get better as the sermon goes on, but it's just important to have the fellowship of people that do what you do. And so I did that with a few pastors last week. And as we were discussing and talking, one of the things that we realized and we talked about was the challenge that we have in approaching the scripture, approaching the word of God. We have a challenge that is actually unique to our calling and our office. Think about it this way, like whenever you read the Bible, whenever you read the Bible, how do you know you're just reading it for you? Like you're not opening up your Bible really thinking about, oh, I wonder what kind of illustration this is going to be. You're not reading your Bible trying to figure out what title you can put to the text. You're really not trying to alliterate points out of the text. But the challenge for preachers often is that we are looking at the text sometimes not for what we can get for us, but what we can get for you. And if you're not careful, you'll be so busy preparing sermons for other people that you forget to feed yourself. Much like a chef that has the culinary skill and excellence to prepare incredible meals, but he spends so much time preparing the meals for others, he never takes time to sit down and prepare a meal for himself. And I just made the decision that I'm not going to be a starving chef. I'm going to be a chef that's going to eat exactly what I'm putting out. Matter of fact, and when I see a chef, I love a chef that's a little bit overweight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want my trainer to be overweight. Like, you better be shredded. But I don't mind if my chef is overweight just a little bit and got some of the food all on his apron. It lets me know that he's eating what he's serving because it is a dangerous thing to have a chef who's starving to death. What do you do when the chef is starving? What do you do when the doctor is sick? And the doctor who's always writing the prescription now needs the same prescription that is used to writing. What do you do when the lawyer has legal trouble and now finds him or herself in the courtroom and the representer now needs representation? What do you do when you go to the home builder's house and you realize his house has foundation issues and his own house is about to fall apart? This tension, this dichotomy, this contradiction is actually what is occurring in the book of Jonah today. You have to understand that in the book of Jonah because in the book of Jonah, we are looking at a man who is a prophet of God, a prophet for God. His only responsibility is to hear from God and then declare what he has heard. But all of a sudden, when we get on Jonah's life, he has heard clearly from God what he's supposed to do. Go to Nineveh. And the prophet says, oh no, I'm not going there. I find that contradiction somewhat comical because this is a person, your job is to go to people and say, obey, 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 this is the way. But now the one who's always calling other people to obey has disobedience in his heart. 
Oh, there is a tension in the book of Jonah. And to be honest with you, I'm probably not going to finish this message today. I'm going to have to give you part two next week because the book of Jonah is so powerful. In fact, I'm going to give you a homework assignment this week. Just read the book of Jonah, okay? It's only four chapters, 48 verses of, watch this, not a heathen's disobedience, a preacher's disobedience, a prophet's disobedience. I think that's important. That's important because I've learned growing up in church that we typecast disobedience. Don't we? We have, we have a visual image of what disobedience looks like. Come on, think of a person that's disobedient. You see that person in your head. What are they doing? They're not in church. They're in the club, snorting cocaine, taking shots, turning up. You're like, oh, look at that heathen. Disobedient. Hadn't been to church in forever. That's how we look at disobedience. But I love God because he does not look at the external. He always looks at the heart. He looks deeper than the facade that's on the surface. Here's what I learned about God is that disobedience looks different. Disobedience, it looks different for people. Not everybody's disobedience looks like them turning up in the club, losing their mind, living a wild lifestyle. And Jonah is proof positive that because this is not somebody that's living a lifestyle that's immoral. This is a prophet of God. Jonah is proof positive that disobedience can disguise itself. Disobedience can hide in religious activity. Disobedience can hide in worship. Disobedience can hide in church attendance. That you can have a person that's lifting up their hands and crying and snotting at the altar, but in their heart is disobedience because they're quick to lift up their hands, but they're slow to forgive the person that hurts them. So they got bitterness in their heart all while they lifting up their hands. Oh, I'm going to not get any shouts today. I'm glad we got them out in worship. Disobedience looks different for people. You can be coming to church, giving in the offering, and people can say, oh, that's amazing. But if you're not giving what he told you to give, it's still disobedience. And Jonah scares me because Jonah is proof positive that disobedience can disguise itself in religious activity. That you can be a prophet of God and still have disobedience in your heart. It's scary to look at the book of Jonah because disobedience disguises itself. We're looking at Jonah. We're not looking at the prodigal son who went to Vegas and turned all the way up. No, to quote the late and great, brilliant Dr. Tim Keller, he says that Jonah is the prodigal prophet. He shows us that you can be a prophet of God and telling everybody else to obey and yet have disobedience creep into your own heart. See, in the Old Testament, it was pretty easy that whenever the people of God were disobedient, God would send a prophet and the prophet would declare, this is what the Lord says. But who do you send when the prophet is the one who is disobedient? Who do you send to him? I tell you what you send. You send the wind. You send the whale. You send a storm. Ooh, I want to warn some of you that are like, oh, I got a big call of God on my life. It's a big call, massive call. Y'all going to see, I got a big call of God on my life. I'm about to blow up. I just want to warn you, a big call requires a big answer. Ooh, a big call will come with a big sacrifice. A big call will come with a big price. A big call might come with some big restrictions. And if you don't answer the call, the bigger the call, the bigger this wind, the bigger the whale that's going to come your way. So be careful when you start shouting about your big call because God will make sure he's got a big whale if you're disobedient. 
Have you ever, I don't know if you're like me, but whenever somebody calls me, whenever somebody calls me, if it says unknown caller, I don't pick up the phone. I don't care who it is. I, I, I don't know you. I'm not picking up the phone if it's an unknown caller. That's how I am. Thank God for caller ID. I don't even answer the phone for some people, especially if you don't talk to me regularly and you call me. I'm like, oh Lord, hold on. You must be calling for something. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. I, don't, I know what this is about. Am I the only one? I think we do God like that. When it's an unknown plan or whenever he asks us to do something, like, oh, 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 no, uh, no, Lord, not today. Uh-uh, no. What? Get rid of him? God, we just started going together. He's saved and he loves you. No, no, no. Uh-uh, don't tell me. That. Isn't it funny? how we will block the call <laughs> when it's something that we don't want to do. Jonah, oh, Jonah is scary. He's scary because he shows us how disobedience will creep into our heart. Bigger the call, sometimes the bigger the whale God will send. Now, since we're in church, we may as well talk about it. We got to discuss this whale, this whale. I want to do a quick little sermonic survey. How many of you have been raised in church? Can I see your hand? You've been raised in church. Look, look at you lifted up your hand spiritual. I saw you just like that. It, it, it's funny. If you've been raised in church, you've heard this story. You've heard about Jonah and the whale. And if you've been in church and now you're old, especially if you've got a little degrees behind your name, there's got to be something in you that goes, for real? How in the world did a whale swallow a whole man? Am I the only one that's ever looked at the Bible and go, God, I'm with it. I'm for you. I believe in everything, but I'm just saying, I'm trying to figure out how in the world did, did, did this happen? Is this this for real? Because come on, this is the story that we tell little kids in Sunday school. We pass out the goldfish that Jonah was disobedient kids. You better be obedient. You don't know if God's still talking to whales today. That, that's the story that we tell. So there's almost this tendency to put this story in the Santa Claus category and the Easter Bunny category. Matter of fact, somebody watching in this room or online, maybe you don't even acquiesce to the fact that God is real and you're just as welcome here as anybody else. But I can hear you talking to me saying, oh my goodness, Robert, seriously, Surely you have more cognitive aptitude and intellectual capacity to understand that this is not even plausible, that a well could swallow a whole man. Come on, let's use reasoning. Let's use intellect. This is not possible. After all, there's only two categories of whales. There are baleen whales that feed on plankton, and then there's tooth whales that actually hunt their prey. It's impossible for a man to get through the esophagus of a baleen whale because the esophagus is only a few inches wide. So that cancels out the baleen whale. And if there is a tooth whale that has four chambers in its stomach, but in that stomach are digestive enzymes that would actually corrode the flesh of a human. So even if a man could get past the sharp teeth, the digestive enzymes of a tooth whale would completely corrode the flesh of a human. And not only that, you must understand that inside of a whale is methane gas. So even if the man got in the whale, he wouldn't even be able to breathe because the methane gas would destroy his life and kill him. So this is impossible. And I'm with you. I believe it. You're right. It's impossible because that's science. And I believe in science. Science is good. I don't like believers that check their brains at the door and just disregard science. That is science tells you where nature ends. Science tells you where nature ends and what it can do. The problem is, I'm all for the science. Don't get me wrong, I'm for the science. The problem is, I'm a believer. And I believe in a God that does miracles. 
and miracles start right at the place, oh God, help me, where science ends. This is the problem that I have with the God is because I know his track record. I know what he can do. I have seen him do the impossible. I have seen him come right at the place where science ended and here comes a miracle. Come on, science says that H2O has to stay H2O, but here comes Jesus at a wedding and he changes the molecular structure of H2O to Pinot Noir. That's the power of what God can do. Science says that a man's not supposed to be able to walk on water, but whenever God gives you a word and just says, come forth, all of a sudden, that which other people would sink in, you start stepping. Science says that when Lazarus is in the grave and it's already been four days and the stone has been rolled on top of him, and if you're moving, it's going to stink. Science says it's over, but here comes Jesus saying, Lazarus, come forth, and a dead man comes out of the grave. God can do miracles. Oh, I need somebody just to take a little 20-second praise break. If you believe that God still does miracles, that he can still split red seas, that he can still open blind eyes, he can still open deaf ears, he does miracles. Some of y'all clapping like you ain't the miracle yourself. Some of y'all clapping like you know where you could have been and where you should have been. Just the fact that you're still here is a billboard that God still does miracles. Come on, you know you didn't used to be in church. You would have been right here in Gillies having a hangover. Look at you in church now, lifting up your hands, giving God the glory. Why? Because he still does miracles. One song said, I got miracles on miracles. So many miracles. I can't even count them all. Oh, I'm all for science. I've just seen them do miracles. And in case you can't shout over those ones in the Bible, maybe you can shout over the ones right here in our community. Can I tell you about baby Isabella in our church? Three-year-old baby girl that had cancer but just got a report right here in our church that she is cancer-free, three years old, completely healed. How'd that happen? Because God does miracles. Can I tell you about Guy Fernandez, who should be dead, was in a tragic motorcycle accident. Doctors already called it over, but guess what? He just got cleared this week to drive. Why? Because God does miracles. Miracles. I'm all for science, but science just tells me where nature ends. Miracles is where God begins. So this is the beauty of what we believe as a church. Let me just give a little quick theology lesson real quick. There's atheism. It says there is no deity, there is no God, and he is not actively involved. There's deism. that says there is a deity, there is a God, but he just created the world, started it, spinned it all together and said, peace out, I can't get involved no more. And then there is theism. that says God created the world and he is presently, currently, actively involved in it and miracles can still happen. So I believe, ooh, yes, that a whole man was in the belly of a whale. And even if I didn't believe in miracles, and if he didn't believe that miracles begin where science ends, then I got Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Remember Matthew chapter 12? The Pharisees, the original haters, 
come up to Jesus. They're like, yo, we need a sign that you're really the Messiah. Give us a sign. He said, y'all ain't going to get no sign. He said, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. And then he says this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. These are the words of Jesus. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If this story is made up, then Jesus is a liar. Because of all the illustrations to use, and of all the people to talk about when he gets ready to articulate the resurrection, the thing that changed the course of human history, he chooses to use Jonah and this well. Ooh, I don't know if wells go to heaven, but if they do, I know which well I want to meet. I want to meet this well. I want to meet the well that God used to talk about the grave that would hold him for three days. Oh, this well is a star. This well is powerful. You know why this well came for Jonah? Because it was under the sea. No. It was under the sea. Not the S-E-A. The sea. What's the sea? Calm down. I'm going to tell you later. But I want you to look at Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. It says, Then God... I'm pausing so you can say that word. <laughs> then God, a huge fish. It don't even say it was a whale. It's a huge fish. <laughs> to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the fish's belly three days and three nights. Then God, then God, assigned. Doesn't even say what kind of fish it was. It was an assigned fish. The fish understood the assignment. Now, here's the thing about assignments. There cannot be an assignment unless there is a calling. Every assignment is connected to a calling. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Can you, somebody grab that for me. Thank you, sir. See, every assignment is connected to a calling. See, I used to think that God assigned things the way I just dropped this towel. I used to think that God would just drop assignments in the earth by accident, but God is so intentional. The same way I didn't drop that towel by accident, I dropped it intentionally. And I used to think that God would just drop assignments and then say, hey, somebody, somebody, can you, somebody, can you, somebody, 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 can you? And whoever wanted to pick up the assignment could pick up the assignment. But that's not how God works. Can I show you how God works? God will strategically drop an assignment in the earth. And then he'll call and say, Jonah, son of Scott and Stephanie, come grab this. Jonah, son of Scott and Stephanie, come grab this. There's Jonah. And Jonah, son of Scott and Stephanie, picked up the specific towel 
that I wanted him to pick up. This is how God's call works. It is so specific. See, in case there was another Jonah in here that might have tried to come get the towel, I had to bring specificity to the assignment and say, Jonah's got a Stephanie. Come pick it up. And he had to walk all the way from over here to right here to pick up this assignment. Now, here's what I love about this Jonah that I can't stand about the Jonah in our text today. I'm so glad. Now, he moved at a glacial pace, but at least he came. I'm glad that this Jonah obeyed. This Jonah in the Bible wastes two whole chapters running away from the call of God. And can I just tell you, if this Jonah would have walked outside and gone to Chipotle to get some lunch and said, forget him. I ain't got to listen. I would have stayed right here saying, Jonah, son of Scott and Stephanie, come get this time. I'm trying to tell you that God in his sovereignty is waiting on you to pick up the assignment that he's placed on your life. Your mama can't do it. Your daddy can't do it. Your brother can't do it. Your cousin can't do it. Only you can do the thing he's assigned you to do. He's not a school teacher that's just putting out assignments to everybody. This assignment comes with specificity. Uh, Can you prove it in the text, Pastor Robert? I sure can. Jonah chapter 1, verse number 1 says, What? The word of the Lord came to who? Son of who? See how y'all weren't confident. I'm on my mind. You you know. (laughs) Jonah. Son of Amatai, just, just fake it. You got to fake it in the Bible. If you don't know how to say it, just fake it. Y'all lost all y'all's confidence. You're like, Jonah, son of Amatai. <laughs> the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amatai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. The entire book of Jonah starts with Jonah being under the sea. What's the sea? I know you've been itching to know. I feel a spirit of Sebastian on me today. Trying to speak to some aerials in here who think that life is so much better. Up where they run. And I'm telling you, you will never be at peace or be whole until you come under the sea. The sea is the call. It is the call that God has placed on your life. And I want to know today, are you under the sea? Are you under the call? Are you like Jonah who thinks that you can drift out from under the call and do whatever you want? And now you're shocked that there's a storm in your life. (laughs) Not understanding that the story of Jonah is proof positive that everything God called responded. Well, come on. Wind, let's go. Jonah, Nineveh. Oh, no, let me tell you something. I got stuff to do today. 
It's a picture of the human condition. That we are the only entity that fights the call. We're the only entity that thinks the call is restrictive. It's, it's literally Ariel. This girl thought everything was better up there. And I wish they would do Little Mermaid Part 2. Yes, show me after the honeymoon, what was life like with your new legs? I guarantee you, they got into a little marital argument. I guarantee you, he dropped his underwear all over the floor and all kinds of marital issues. I guarantee you, she saw that credit score that he had. It was like, forget this. My daddy was right. Where are my fins? I need to get back in the water. But it's the trick of the enemy to get you to come out from the call that you know God has placed on your life. Now, here's the thing about a call. This is a word, all oh, that has been so jacked up in the church, if I can say it that way. Matter of fact, I'm almost sick of people saying, I have a call. I have a call. No, I, I need to sing on stage because I have a call. Really? Really? Since when did we start mixing personal ambition? <laughs> for cute Christian language. Oh, you very well might have a call to sing. You very well might have a call to have a business. But let's just go back to our original call as human beings. Our original call is to be in intimacy and relationship with God. Our original call is simply obedience. So whatever he says, that's the original call. Let me just simplify something that seems so ethereal. The original call is to be in relationship with God and obey what he says. Give us scripture, Robert. That's what happened in Genesis. He created Adam and Eve. They were in intimate fellowship with God. And then he puts a tree in the garden and says, you cannot touch that tree and gives no explanation as to why they can't touch the tree. He just says, I'm giving you a word. You cannot touch it. If it it was me. I at least would have given a five-minute video that would have showed Adam and Eve, this is what's going to happen to the world if you eat this tree. God does not do that. God says, I want relationship with you, and I want that relationship to be founded on trust and that you obey me, and you know that even if you don't understand it, it's good for you, that even if you can't comprehend it, it's good for you, because I'm your father. I want you to obey and stay under the call. This is why we get no explanation, but Adam and Eve the first ones to say, I want to be where the people are. And now we have the calamity we have in the world today because we're all trying to get under the sea, out from under the sea. Are you under the sea? I think because we have confused our own personal ambition for things in the kingdom of God. Some of us think we're under the sea, but we're not really under the sea. I think some of us are under the sea, but it's the sea of comparison. And so we're comparing our life to somebody else's life. And because God is doing something a certain way through them, we erroneously and arrogantly assume that if God did it that way through them, he's going to do it the same way through me. But then when God doesn't do it that way through you, you're like, oh, God, what's going on? I just sang about you being a promise keeper. Obviously, you ain't keeping your promises. And he's like, I never promised that. I never promised that. You're, you're, you're under the sea of comparison. You have to be careful, especially, hear me, when it comes to things in the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is the place where idols of ambition and success can hide the best. I have to be careful that even as I'm standing under the sea, the call that God has placed on my life, that I don't start getting under the sea of comparison. 
you know, sometimes it'll come through other people's voices. I have people all the time, oh, when are we going to have some more campuses, Pastor? I don't know. What if we never have one? I mean, I would love a social Maui and I would leave tomorrow. <laughs> but isn't it funny that we, what, we think because everybody else has a campus, I'm supposed to have multiple campuses? What if God just wants me to have one campus? Can I be content with one campus? This will jack you up if you really start asking yourself, what sea am I under? Am I under the call or am I under comparison? Because isn't it funny how everybody's call is massive? I've never heard anybody come up to me and say, I had a vision and I was in front of five people singing. I had a vision and I saw three people in the church. Everybody's call is big. Everybody's thousands. What are we comparing the sea to? Are we under the sea? Maybe we're under the cloud. Because we're so insecure that we need the validation of other people. And so we think that it's only significant if it's great in size. Not knowing that growth and swelling looks the same. That's not in my notes, so I know God gave me that one. Which sea are you under? Oh, are you under the sea of comfort? Oh, I hear this all the time. Because so many people think that if God called me to do it, I'll be comfortable. As if our whole faith isn't centered on a man who died on a cross and said, you got to pick up yours too. But we're wondering if we're under the call, if it's comfortable. Are you really under the sea? Oh, are you under, oh, see, are you under the sea, but it's the compensation package? Oh, God, God, no, I, God, I'm, I'm, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I just need to know what the benefits are. Because, you know, the new seven series coming out, and I just want to make sure that the money's right. I've never in my life seen so many people that the thing they go to is the benefit package instead of asking God, was I actually called to this? No wonder God said you cannot serve both me and money because money seems to be the thing that people will go to to see whether I'm called to it. Do you know, oh, can I say this? Do you know that when we first planted this church, we didn't take no salary because we couldn't afford to give us one. <laughs> we was out here on these streets. <laughs> the only reason I did it is because I had an undeniable call. Are you under the call or are you under the compensation package? Are you under the convenience because it's easy? Are you under the sea, but it's the sea of compliments? So you're comfortable to be under the sea as long as everybody is clapping for you. I remember when we first started planning the church, God told me real quick, get ready for controversy and get ready for criticism. Because anybody that does anything great in the earth, there will be criticism. The only people that don't have people talking about them are the people that say nothing, do nothing, and become nothing. But if you ever start doing something, get ready for folks to start talking about you. And God gave us a word very early in this church. He said, keep a soft heart, but thick skin. Because so many people are under the sea of compliments. And as soon as two people say something underneath your page, you're like, oh God, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Which, which sea are you under? Jonah was trying to get away from the call. He fled, went down to Joppa, all the way to Tarshish. Don't play just yet, Will. Where there's a will, 
there's a way. He fled all the way to Tarshish. And I almost was going to put the map on the screen for you to show you that from where Jonah was to Nineveh was only 550 miles. But Tarshish was 2,500 miles away from where he was. Homeboy went 2,000 miles by sea into the complete opposite direction. And the Bible feels the need to tell us that he did not hop on the boat for free. He paid the fare. As if the text is subliminally suggesting to us, disobedience will always cost you. You will always pay the price for disobedience. And ships leave for Tarshish every single day. And it doesn't always look like somebody up in the club. You can be in church and still be disobeying the sea that he called you to. He gets on his way to Tarshish and he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He's on the run. Well, now you can play. I just want to ask you very plainly today. Are you on the run? I'm not talking about the call because again, that can become so ethereal. They were like, well, I don't know what to do. Let's not even deal with the thing that you don't know what to do. I'm talking about the thing that you know he told you to do. Are you on the run? Because you don't want to be under the sea. It's so interesting being a preacher because everybody's occupation sometimes curates conversations. Come off, you're a chiropractor and you tell people you're a chiropractor, all of a sudden you had a dinner par party and they're like, hey, can you, uh, can you fix me? Because you know my, my back is off. Same thing as a preacher. It's interesting. I run into people and I'll just be seeing them. It's like I can almost tell in their eyes. It's not like I'm judgmental at all. But it's weird being a preacher because sometimes when you talk to people, you can almost see in their face where they are with the Lord. Because for whatever reason, sometimes if it's you, they're like, they don't want to look at you in the eye. I've been out just, just like at, at a restaurant and then I'll see somebody like, oh man, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm going to come to church, Pastor. I know it's been a few months. I'm like, hey man, I'm just getting a bean burrito, homie. I'm just, cool, come to Gillies. <laughs> but I've learned to realize it's not me. They're running from the sea. And just me, because I guess I preach the gospel, is reminding them of the sea that they've been trying to get out from under. Jonah went so far trying to get out from under the sea. And I'm wondering, are you paying the price? Have you found yourself farther than you ever realized trying to get away from the sea? That's the thing about disobedience. That's why I didn't put the map on the screen. I was going to show you the distance and how far Tarshish was. But I guarantee you, life and maps look different in retrospect. It's not until you look back that you say, oh, that's how far I've drifted. But when you're in it, disobedience doesn't start in leaps. It starts in steps. And before you know it, you've gone farther than you realized. And here is Jonah asleep and a storm is brewing. And the storm, hear me, is because of him. We talk about storms all the time in the church. How many of you know storms can happen for a whole lot of reasons? Some storms are just 
life. And maybe you need to hear that today. There's a storm that you're facing. And hear me, that storm is not God. It's not the devil. It's just a life. There are some storms that are just a result of the fact that we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world because Adam and Eve came out from under the sea. And yes, one day when God comes back, when Jesus splits the sky, this world will be redeemed. But the reality is we live in a fallen world. Some storms are just life. Some storms are because you did something right and it's just an attack from the enemy. I told you last week, remember how Jesus went from the water into the wilderness and right after the water, here comes the enemy attacking the very identity that he got in the water. Some storms in your life are because you did something right and the enemy's attacking you. But then there are some storms that are the consequence of your disobedience. That's what the storm is. I actually got good news for somebody. That storm could stop if you would just come back to the call. That storm could stop if you would just get under the sea. That storm could actually stop in your life. That's what happened when the winds and the waves were raging. And here comes the captain saying, wake up, Jonah. How are you sleeping in this? Oh, this isn't the sleep of somebody that's in peace like when Jesus was asleep in the storm. No, this is the sleep of somebody who is unaware that the storm they're facing is directly connected to their personal disobedience. Because you don't know you're asleep until somebody says, wake up, call on your God. Isn't it crazy that God would use a pagan captain to wake up a prophet of God and say, get up and call on your God. And I don't know who this is for, but how many know God has a way of doing that? God will use the most unusual things when you've been away from the sea to speak to you, to get your attention. He'll use somebody that don't even know who Jesus is to say, you know you're not supposed to be in here. You know there's more on your life. You know you're not supposed to be doing this. God has greater for you. What are you doing in here? You ain't supposed to be here. There's something about being out from under the sea that makes you unaware and somebody has to wake you up. And Jonah says, here's what you got to do. You want the sea to stop? Throw me into the sea. And I can see the sailors, they're like, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. That's be like killing you. We can't do that. He's like, no, that's the only way this storm is going to stop. This storm is because of me. And I can see those sailors struggling to throw Jonah overboard. The Bible says they started throwing cargo over because it's easy to throw cargo. It's harder to throw somebody that you've been connected to. And maybe you're a sailor in here. And the reason you're in a storm is because you let Jonah on your boat. And I got a word for you today. Throw Jonah overboard. Your destiny is not worth it. Throw Jonah overboard. Some of you are in a storm because of who you are connected to. Throw Jonah overboard. Delete Jonah off your phone because they're the one that's causing the storm. You got to get rid of them or you're going to lose you. Sailors, throw him overboard. All of a sudden, he hits the ground, hits the water rather. And all of a sudden, the storm that was raging is calm and peaceful. Look at the God of the sea. That he's the God that can control Jonah in the water and make sure that a whale gets him. And he's the God that even used Jonah's disobedience to speak to those sailors who ended up calling on the true God and he got them to shore. This is what I thank God about, that he has, he has the ability to take care of both. And Jonah is in the belly of the whale 
And for the first time, he prays. He prays. He didn't pray when God said, go to Nineveh. He's like, no, them heathens don't need your mercy. I ain't going there. But all of a sudden, now that he's got himself in the well, he lifts up his voice to pray. And that prayer produced this well, vomiting him up. I love it because the Bible doesn't say how far the well was from the land when he vomited. So in my mind, I like to think he was a far distance from the land and it was projectile. So here comes this whale. Here's Jonah. Ah! Flying through the air. Vomit in his hair. Landing on the ground. And getting up. And what happens when Jonah hits the land? I'm so glad you asked. Jonah chapter 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a Remember, when I pause, you're supposed to say it. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a... Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a... Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a... I don't know about you, but that second time made me shout. Because sometimes I wonder if God's given me a word and I've gotten so far away from the sea. Sometimes I wonder, God, are you going to give up on me? God, are you going to walk away? But I want to thank God that he'll use a whale that was under the sea to throw you up to the exact place of your disobedience. And God will give you a second time. Somebody in here knows what it's like to get a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance. How many are thankful for the loving kindness? for the mercy, for the grace of God that even when I've gotten so far away, I'm so glad that my father will come a second time and give me another opportunity to get under the sea, under the call that is on my life. Somebody who's thankful for a second chance. Would you give Jesus just the best hand clap and shout of praise that you got? Our God is a God of second chances. Just stand to your feet. This is what, this is what the book of Jonah is completely about. It's about the mercy of God. You know why Jonah didn't want to go? He didn't want to go because he knew how wicked Nineveh was. And he did not think that they deserved the mercy of God. Isn't that funny? The one that needed the mercy didn't think other people deserved the mercy. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah, 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 the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. He obeyed. God gave him a second chance to bring him back to the place of his disobedience and gives him the same word so he can obey. Jonah, you don't get to get out from under the sea. I had a specific assignment for you to accomplish. The Bible says the entire city of Nineveh repented. The entire city from the king to the peasants, everybody repented. And it gave me so much hope when I was preaching this sermon today. 
because guess what his message was? You know he had an attitude still. His, his message was like, hey, you don't repent, God gonna judge y'all in 40 days. No illustrations, <laughs> no three points, just a warning. And a whole city gives its life to the Savior? I wonder who's waiting for you to get under the sea. Who is on the other side of you getting under the sea? I'll never forget when God started calling us to plant this church. Y'all, I was comfortable. I would travel and preach at different churches and I would talk to pastors. They'd be like, it's hard out here in these pastoral streets. I'm like, man, that's too bad for you. <laughs> I'm going home, but Godspeed. <laughs> I, got, I gave God every excuse, but I couldn't shake it. And being under the sea, I didn't see this right here. There's always somebody waiting on the other side of you getting under the sea. This isn't just about you. Somebody is waiting on you to stop running and get under the sea. I'm going to ask every head be bowed and eyes be closed. Father, thank you today for your word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And the word of the Lord still comes to us today. Father, I pray for your son. I pray for your daughter. Some who have traveled so far, they paid the price. Some are headed to Tarshish. Some are already there. And Lord, I pray today they would hear your message of mercy and your loving kindness. Lord, if you had mercy and compassion on the wicked, most evil city of Nineveh, how much more will you have mercy on us? But you do require obedience. Bring us back to the place where we disobeyed. Give us the second time today whatever that looks like let us obey our first call which is to trust the word of our loving kind father give us an obedience that doesn't even need comprehension we don't have to understand to obey we just have to know that your character and your nature is good. So with heads bowed, eyes closed today, if you'd be so honest, say, Pastor Robert, I know this word is for me. I've, I've been on the run. Some of you, to be honest, you're so tired of running. God ordained you to be here today. This is your moment. This is your second chance to say, God, I'm coming home. If that's you with heads bowed and eyes closed, and you know there's an area of your life, 
come on, let's be honest. We, we do so good sometimes compartmentalizing and saying, God, yeah, I'm good with being under the call, under the sea in this area. Oh, but, but this area, God, come on, you, you don't know who I'm supposed to date. You, you, don't, you don't, like, th that doesn't apply to you. No, he wants you under the call in every area of your life. Your finances, your emotions, every aspect. He wants you under the sea. If you're in here today, you'd be so honest to say, I know God is speaking to me about a specific area that I need to come under the sea, under the call. And today, I'm coming home. Would you just lift up your hand high enough and long enough just as a sign to say, God, I hear you speaking. Oh my goodness, this is beautiful. Hear me. When you harden your heart, the more you disobey, the harder it is to hear this is beautiful that you would even lift up your hand to say, God, I hear you speaking. I'm telling you, conviction is a gift. It's a horrible thing when you don't feel conviction anymore. You don't feel it anymore. It's a beautiful thing when you say, God, I, I disobeyed, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Hear me, he is so quick to forgive. He's slow to anger. He's a God of mercy. Anybody else, you can lift it up and put it right back down. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you'd be so honest, say, Pastor Robert, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. That's the first call, to respond to the call of salvation. To repent means I changed my mind. I turned in a different direction. And yes, we spend our whole Christian life repenting and turning and God is continually shaping and sanctifying us, but there needs that initial moment to say, God, I'm coming home. I'm giving you my life. And if that's you today, I don't care if it's just one person, I don't care if you're watching online, there's a reason you haven't turned off. If you're here today and say, Pastor Robert, I need to surrender my life to him. Would you just lift up your hand high enough and long enough to where I can see it say, today's the day. We say it all the time at social, you can always come home. Thank you, Jesus. Hands going up all over this place today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here we are. We're a church that just believes in the power of responding, not just by lifting up your hands, but sometimes it's just good to get out from where you're standing and come up to the front. So I'm going to ask those of you, especially if you lifted up your hand that second time saying, I need to give him my life. Or maybe you've been away from God, been away from the church, and God's calling you back today. That's You had somebody, I just said so strongly, you hadn't been to church forever, but today you just decided to come. And this whole message, God has been speaking to you. That's because he knows where you are. He's the God who sees. He doesn't just want you under the sea, but he can see you. He can see you where you are and he's calling you home. I'm just going to ask you, if that's you, if you lifted up your hand that second time without worrying about what anybody else thinks, would you just come find a place at this altar? Our prayer team is going to start coming up here now. We want to be able to pray with you. Come on, this is a destiny moment for you. One, don't worry about what anybody else is going to think. Two, come on, you know when God is speaking to your heart. Three, would you come? Would you come? I don't care if you're all the way in the back. I'm telling you that walk is worth every single step to say, God, I'm coming home. Come on. Come on, I wish I had a church that would celebrate every single one of these incredibly brave, strong children of God who are coming home today. Come on, y'all could do better than that. Would you give God some praise? Come on, just come right up here to the front, right up here to the front. Come on, come on. Come on, y'all, don't stop clapping until people stop coming. 
come on, you don't know the story of some of the people who are making the biggest step of their life to say, God, I've been running. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of running. I got to come home. I got to come home. Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see fathers coming. I see sons coming. I see daughters coming. I'm telling you, you don't know who's on the other side of you coming under the sea. You don't know whose destiny has been waiting for you to come under the sea. Come on. Come on. I'm sorry, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, come on. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, come on. Anybody else? Anybody else? It's exhausting running. It's exhausting running. It's exhausting to keep running when you know he's calling. When you know he's calling. I'm sorry, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to wait a few more moments. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. The Bible says that the day you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. He's a God of incredible mercy, but he will not strive forever. I'm telling you, the fact that you still feel him tugging, even as you're running, is a sign. God has so much more for you. Anybody else? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We're going to pray a prayer together as one big family. This prayer team is going to be able to pray with you personally if you want personal prayer, but can we just do this just as a sign of surrender. Can we all just lift up our hands? Not just those of you at the front, but all of us. We're lifting up our hands as a sign of surrender. And I'm just going to lead you in this corporate prayer. Again, the prayer team's going to be here for individual prayer. But can we pray this prayer? I'm going to give you the words, but you say it from your heart. Would you say this? Say, Jesus, my hands are raised because I'm tired of running. I surrender. God, I know that you've been calling for me. Lord, thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your patience. Lord, today, I need your forgiveness. Speak to me. Give me a second chance. I am here for you and I will obey the call. Give me the strength that I need to live under the sea, under the divine call that you've placed on my life from this moment forward. I'm walking with you. Where you lead, I will follow. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. 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 Who come on, if you meant what you prayed, can we give Jesus some praise today? Oh, come on, we could do better than that. Can we give Jesus just the best praise that you got?